Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You stopped with Roberto Clemente. Henry Aaron was the greatest right fielder of our generation. Baseball. You got something against baseball? No, I like baseball. I just never understood how you guys can spend so much time discussing it. It's time for Hit and Run. You don't know how to play first base. Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. Three hours of Chicago baseball talk every Sunday from 9 to noon. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. Oh. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Starring Barry Rosner and Joe Ostrowski. What's our record, Larry? Eight and 16? Eight and 16. How'd we ever win eight? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Hit and run on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago's sports station. Take me out to the ball game. Or take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts, buy me some Cracker Jacks, and I don't even care if we ever get back in us. A row, row, row for the home team, and if they don't win, it's a shame. And it's one and it's two and it's three strikes you're out. That's that old ball game. Good morning, baseball fans here in Chicago and listening around the globe on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Live from the Hyundai Studios, this is Hit and Run, the Score's venerable baseball show. I am Barry Rosner, and my partner, Joe Ostrowski, is off today. I hear it could be Ebola virus. I don't know for sure. We'll see if he returns next week. You just never know. With my history here on this show, you just never know. I'll be with you until 1240, taking you up to Cubs baseball right here on your radio home of the Chicago Cubs. Here's what we have planned for you today. As always, lots of Cubs and White Sox conversation. Feel free to join in at 312-644-6767. At 930, Mark Gonzalez will be in studio to talk some Cubs baseball. He is, of course, the beat writer for the Chicago Tribune. He also covered the White Sox for a long time. So we will talk about the White Sox rebuild as well how that fits in historically for them. At 10.30, former L.A. Dodgers GM Ned Coletti will be here to talk some NL West, to talk some Dodgers, to talk some Rockies, Diamondbacks, baseball in general, and the National League, where he thinks the Cubs are in that pecking order right now as we are, uh, well, by my calculations, on August 5th. And I know that because, uh, well, I just looked at my laptop and it says it's August 5th. At 11 o'clock, the big redhead, Rick Sutcliffe, stops by to talk about the Cubs' first night game on 8-8-88. Coming up on the 30th anniversary, just a couple days away. I wrote about it uh, yesterday for today's Daily Herald. You can find that uh, on my Twitter feed or Facebook page. It was was not Rick Sutcliffe, who in the record books has the official first start. That's what I wrote about today. Talk to the guy who actually... Got that first official start. But we'll talk to Sut about that first night game, what that was like, how hard he lobbied to get that start with Don Zimmer, and uh, some of the things that took place that night. It was quite the scene. At 11.30, Mark Zuckerman, who covers the Nationals for Masson, will be here. Try to help us understand what's happening with the Nationals throughout the NL East as well. That, uh, well... I mean, it's coming down to it for the Nationals. They got a big week coming up. They have a very big week coming up. At noon, White Sox player development director Chris Getz will be here. We will talk White Sox prospects. Some really, really good things happening with the White Sox. Best prospects. 
Dylan Cease absolutely on fire. Another huge night last night. Nick Madrigal did strike out, so I guess that's it for him. I guess that's it for him. First strikeout in 72 at-bats, I believe. So, bust out. I'm a little down on the White Sox all the way around. <laughs> See, all I hear, all I hear is passing laughing now. That's, I don't even hear the rest of it. I'm a little down on the White Sox all the way around. <laughs> and what was he laughing about at that point? Was it that? Probably the podcast. Couldn't get him, oh, the, the I who? Probably the I who. Or was it that he couldn't get anybody's name right? <laughs> or that he was just... Coppitz, whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. By far the best part is the passing laughing. <laughs> he's thinking, what happened to my career is what he's thinking. Like, Why am I doing this? How did this happen to me? Hey, it, it it passes defense. There are a lot of baseball writers going out of that show thinking the exact same thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's not it's not Passon's fault, not by any stretch. Who were we talking to recently? Anthony Castrovince? <laughs> we'll come back with that later. Yeah, but, yeah. He's, hey, if they don't ask you on, don't be offended. Is that not the point that I made? And he was right with, he was right there with me on that. Chris Getz will be here at noon. We'll talk White Sox prospects, where they are, where they're going, when they'll be here. We'll give you the exact date and time. No, we won't give you the exact date and time of their arrival. But seven remains more than six. Seven is still more than six. It is. Six plus one is seven. Seven minus one is six. Seven more than is is still one more than six. Seven is one more than six. If you bring those guys up, this year, you're giving away a year of control for what? I mean, for what? For a cookie? Hugh Epstein used to call them cookies. Not giving you a cookie. I mean, for what? I'm not saying they won't do it. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know what their plan is. But I'll be surprised if they do it. Yes, I know it's hard. Hey, Chris Bryant hit like 900 in spring training, right? You think it was easy for the Cubs to keep him down for a week? It wasn't. But it was the right thing to do. And when he's here in his seventh year, all the people who are screaming, why isn't Chris Bryant here? They'll go, oh, yeah, we got a whole extra year of Chris Bryant for one week. He missed like three games with rainouts and days off. Yeah, seven remains one more than six. I, I don't honestly don't know what Rick Kahn has in mind, what he has discussed with Kenny Williams and with Jerry Reisdorf, but I, if it's me, I'm not, I'm not even talking about it. Sorry. Sorry, White Sox fans. I know you'd love it. I know you'd love to see Eloy Jimenez. And, there's, and I, you know, we'll talk to Chris Getz about it. I can't imagine what he actually still needs to do. But, you know, I've watched Dylan Cease pitch, and he's still working on a third pitch. I mean, you can say, okay, dominated high A. He's absolutely dominating double A. In seven starts, but he's still working on his third pitch. I mean, you could, I mean, you know, you could you make the same arguments for Kopech or, or uh, even Cease at Double A. Double A to the majors is not it's really not that big a jump. You can make the argument, but he's still working on a third pitch. I do not. I do not think it's the right thing to do. And you know that if you're if you're uh, no, if you're regular hit and run people, you know that seven is one more than six. I don't know what their plans are, I really don't. But I'd be surprised if they did it. Our producer, director, and engineer is Eli Hershkovich. Of course, oh, I failed to mention Bruce Levine will be here at twelve twenty-five for his weekly visit. Eli Hershkovich is our producer, director, engineer, and intern. I am at Barry Rosner on Twitter. The hit and run account is hit and run six seventy. You can follow that for show updates. The phone number, as you know, is 312-644-6767. You can also join in at 670-11 via the text zone on the score. If you text us, you'll get a text back acknowledging your text standard message and data rates may apply. What I want to start with today, honestly, it wears me out. Seriously, this wears me out. Every time a young White Sox pitcher throws well, 
He's going to the Hall of Fame. In the eyes of some within the fan base. And, of course, every time one struggles, they're bust-outs. DFA them. Get them out of here. Just get them out of here. They're terrible. Who is Tiago Vieira? I'll get back to him in a minute. But there's a reason I bring up his name. You know, I got, a, I got an email from a guy way back in April. A guy named Matt works for uh, a Chicago company, which I will not name because it would embarrass him. He sent me a really angry email. How stupid I am about baseball. You, he said, oh, he prefaced it by saying, I, I usually, I think you're very knowledgeable about baseball. Then he said, you're an idiot for thinking Giolito could be a big league pitcher. And he went on to tell me that, that uh, Ronaldo Lopez is really the guy. Well, I hadn't compared the two. I compared those two. I don't want to hear about uh, Gelato now. It's pitched a couple of decent games in a row. We're not talking about Gelato. Can I call him Gelato? Or does it not work because he called him Gelato? You could do it. I mean, if he's going to make up a name, you might as well That's be able right. to, to do That's right. Thank you, Eli. Well. I'll make up any damn name I want. So, Gelato... Yeah, he was off to a rough start. And I said I didn't care. And I wasn't comparing him to Lopez. I wasn't saying he was better than Lopez. But this guy, Matt, really mad at me. Bust out. Actually called him a washout. He said Eddie Butler on the Cubs has better stuff than Giolito. Went on to praise Eddie Butler. Said he played baseball at George Washington University in the 80s. So, of course, you know, well, that that's really all you need to know. He's... He's absolutely on a path to the Hall of Fame as a scout. So on and on and on about how Lopez is great and Giolito is just terrible. So, I, I you know, I, I, I'm always baffled by this. Like, this is a new thing. Like, like, people haven't watched young players come up in baseball before. And, you know, there's... You know, there's a lot of really good young players who come up today and are absolutely dynamite. And most of them are position players. And there's some good young pitchers who come up and are and are terrific. But usually, throughout history, it's been very difficult for young pitchers when they get to the big leagues. That's the way it has been forever. There are exceptions. Of course there are exceptions. So Giolito, he, he was up and down. Then he started to get it together. He was really good Friday, by the way. Lopez, early in the season, great. Last two months, terrible. Really good Thursday. Rodon was, uh, had a couple bad ones at the end of June. Everyone was like, see, you know, he's never going to stay healthy. He's just never going to be any good. He's just, you know, it's just, you know. Well, now he's on fire in his last five with a one whip and a 156 ERA. He looks exactly like what you thought he was going to look like. Dylan Covey had some really good ones, some terrible ones. Fulmer got off to a bad start, then had two good ones. It was like, okay, see that? Uh-oh. Now he went back to being terrible. Then he was gone. Young pitching. It's to be expected. If you think it's going to be different for Kopech or Cease or Hansen or Dunning or Birdie or anybody else who gets here, well, maybe it will be, but it probably won't be. That's just the way that it is. You can look back throughout history. We talk about it all the time on this show. You can find lots and lots of Hall of Famers who were terrible as young pitchers in the big leagues. Terrible. So Lopez, since May 1st, 4-7 and seven with a 529 ERA, a FIP slightly higher than that, an, op- uh, an opponent's OPS of 800, a whip of 142, averaging about five and two-thirds. Well, Giolito, since June 1st, 4-2, and two, averaging six innings with a 466 area, 133 whip, and an OPS against of 746. So everything better. Everything better for Giolito, Matt. But I'm not comparing the two. I do it for these purposes for you, Matt, to show you that these things can change, and they will change. And I don't know who's going to wind up being the better one. No idea. No idea which one of those guys, if either one of them. But you ended your letter by saying, at best, Giolito's a five. At best, he's a five? 
You think that's a small thing, being a fifth starter in the big leagues? That you traded for a guy who's going to wind up being a fifth starter? Now, we don't know what the rest of those guys are going to be in those deals, in the Washington deal, in the Boston deal. Sure seems like we know what the what the Quintana deal is going to end up looking like. But again, you know, those things can change. Young players, who knows? But I give you that comparison, Matt, just to show you that these things change. I'm going to give you some numbers of a guy who, uh, in his first 32 career starts, was 8-18 eight and 18 with a 559 ERA and a whip of 166. 32 starts, 8-18, eight 559 ERA, whip of 166. Giolito has 33 career starts now in a year. That's basically a year of baseball. He's 10 and 12 with a 519 and a whip of 139. So versus this other guy that I just mentioned, better record, better ERA, better whip, better FIP, better XFIP in the same amount of starts. The other guy's name is Greg Maddox. Do not misunderstand me. I use Maddox all the time as an example, not because I think other people are going to win 355 career games, go to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot with 97% or whatever it was. The point is it's hard. The point is it is difficult as a young pitcher in the big leagues. It's tough. Greg Maddox, first 32 career starts, 8-18, and 559 ERA, whip of 166. Lucas Giolito in 33, 10 and 12, 519 and a 139. Better across the board than Greg Maddox. What's it all mean? Doesn't mean anything. Because we don't know what Giolito is going to be a year from now. We don't know he's going to be a month from now, let alone a year or two or three or five. The point is, you don't give up on young pitching. That's the point. If they have stuff or an idea of how to pitch or a good arm, or good pedigree, you just don't quit on guys. That's the point. No, I'm not saying Lucas Giolito is going to be Greg Maddox. That's not my point. The point is you don't give up because you just don't know. This is Don Cooper uh, from a couple of days ago speaking of Carlos Rodon. We brought him into the video room. We looked at all those good fastballs, all those good break, each individual pitch, and what were the common denominators that were happening to create that pitch. We saw it, and now we've been on it since that moment. We've been on this. He's been on it. What's his best change of what's happening on his best change? We're always thinking out of the box. Thinking in the box all the time gets boring. This is a guy that, first of all, we had to get to throw strikes. He wasn't throwing enough strikes, and we had to give him another pitch to change him. So I've seen the picture come together, and he's in a position now the stuff he's got, he can be one of the best lefties. If you've watched him over the last month, what you see is a guy who obviously has the stuff and is holding his velocity. You follow me? He's holding his velocity. It means late in games, he's throwing as hard or harder than he did in the first inning of games when he's getting to the seventh or eighth inning. His stuff is really good, but he's learning how to pitch. Learning how to pitch on days when he doesn't have his best stuff. There's a lot of golfers who grind out who grind out a one under, two under, three under on days when they got nothing. That's how you win tournaments. That's how you keep yourself in one. When you got nothing and you somehow grind out a three under and you go, I got everything out of that round I could have got out of that round. Pitchers do the same thing. There's days when they got nothing, or there's innings when they got nothing, or there's bullpens when they got nothing, and they get on the mound and they're a different guy. It's the same thing. You're on the range, everything's great or everything's terrible. You get out on the course, it's a completely different player. It's like, okay, who is this guy? Who are you? I've never met you before. Pitchers feel the same way sometimes. And there are some days when you don't have your best stuff. Well, Carlos Rodon is starting to figure it out. But, man, when his stuff is good... Wow. And he still has so much to learn. Patience is the key here when it comes to young pitching. And you may get tired of hearing it. And I know, I think I think most White Sox fans get it. 
I think they understand that. Yeah, Rodon with a 156 in his last five. I think most, I think most Sox fans get it. But I still think there's a percentage of people who are living and dying with every one of these starts. I think you got to enjoy the process. Process is tough. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Embrace, embrace the, uh, the, the good days and embrace the pain on the bad days. That's all part of it. That's all, that's all part of the process of watching young pitching. Diego Vieira, I don't know if you watched him last night. I watch Sox games. I know that sounds ridiculous. But I watch every Sox game. Eli's laughing at me. He's laughing. I know they expect it to be banned. They're pathetic. <laughs> I think they're exactly what they expected to be. Forgive me. But I watch them anyway. Because it's part of the process. Just like I watched the Cubs when the Cubs were terrible. Part of the process. But I'm watching Diego Vieira last night. Who is he? Who is this guy? Well, you probably don't remember it. It was a, it was a very small transaction in November of last year. Sox got, got him from the Mar- Mariners for international bonus slot money. He was like, at the time, I think the 10th best prospect in the Mariners system, something like that. An amateur free agent out of Brazil. Who is he? Who is this guy? Who's T- who is Diego Vieira? I mean, who is he? Nobody knows who he is, right? But he comes in last night. He's throwing 95, 96 with a vicious splitter and a nasty curveball. And you're going, wow. Okay, uh, you know, that's closer stuff. When you can throw 96 with a splitter that falls off the end of the table, that's closer stuff. That's dominant closer stuff. Is he going to be a Sox closer? I I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea where these guys are going to be in a year or two or three. But when Dave Wilder found Bobby Jenks, nobody knew who he was. Nobody thought he was going to be something. All he was was your closer for a World Series winning team. That's all. No big deal. I got to say, watching him last night, my fandom's kind of died off. But, you know, the excitement after that final strikeout to end the game, it's something White Sox fans, especially with Rodon's start yesterday, haven't been able to see in a while. The guy was really excited. And I guess his teammates were, were giving him a hard time for it. I thought it was pretty cool. Why not? Why not be excited? It's a good thing. All right, so the game isn't going to help you win the World Series this year, but it's a good thing. Be excited. You won a game. My point is, the reason I bring up Diego Vieira is, I think it was his third game last night for the Sox, and the first two I watched but didn't think too much. And I watched last night, and I went, okay, that's like serious. That's like serious stuff. That is serious stuff. Who's he going to be? I don't know. You just keep collecting, guys. You just keep collecting them, and who knows? You're going to need a lot of them. But patience remains the key. We'll get to the Cubs next. Mark Gonzalez will join me in studio. We'll continue to talk some White Sox as well. He has seen the rebuild on the north side, and he covered the Sox on the south side when such a concept seemed impossible. We'll talk lots of baseball with him next right here on Hit and Run on the Score. Oh, hi, Mark. And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by Campland RV. It's Campland RV's annual three-hour super sale. Visit the lot Sunday, August 5th. That is today. Today, August 5th. I think it's today. It's August 5th. Visit the lot today from noon to 3 for huge savings on all RVs. A special preview starts at 10 a.m. Go right now. It's, uh, well, it's 929. Uh, Campland RV, RV buying made easy right off I-94 in Burns Harbor, Indiana. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner with you until 1240 today, taking you up to Cubs baseball. Joe Ostrowski is either sick or out of town or on vacation. Who knows? He might have quit. It's entirely possible that he just quit. It happens all the time (laughs) to me on the show. So I am joined for the time being in studio by friend Mark Gonzalez, beat writer for the Chicago Tribune covering the Cubs. Before that, covered the White Sox. Before that, covered the Diamondbacks. And before that, when I first met him, when he was covering the Giants. Hey, Gons, how you doing? 
two old goats here on a Sunday yeah, morning. Yeah, no kidding. What was your first year covering the Giants? 1992, the year they were threatening to move to St. Pete. What a fun year that was. Wow, 92. So, let's see. Is that the, uh, was 92, that wasn't the OJ year, was it? The year of the chase? All I that know was 94. The, was, cha- the chase was in 94? Because I was in the press box right. in San Francisco on that Friday. Was that a Friday night? It was night? a Friday night. I yes, know the Bulls was. were, I know we were... Pretending to watch Giants-Cubs, the Bulls playoff game was on. I believe it was Bulls-Knicks, I want to say. Right. And we're watching the chase on TV. In that dinky press box. Uh, awful press box at Candlestick. Oh, I hated that place. I really hated Candlestick Park. Was there anything <laughs> redeeming about it? No, and yet growing up there, I thought it was the Mecca. I mean, how dumb was I? <laughs> <laughs> now you look at these ballparks, now you think, what was I thinking? Oh, man, China Basin, that's nice. Spectacular. Now that's really nice. But candlestick freezing. It's always cold. Unless you had a day game, which there weren't very many of, then it was really nice. Yeah, but you have a good seat up in front, and you get a dirt sandwich because all the wind would pick up the dirt and blow in your face, and then you get a wind burn. It was just miserable. It was a miserable place. So when you joined the beat in 92, I would imagine that is when we first got to know each other, have always respected you as a journalist. Not a lot of journalism left. Not a lot of journalists left. And uh, you still, what I what I admire about how you do your job is that you don't try to make the story about you. Whereas most people in journalism today think they are the story. And that's not your job. No, the players are the story. They dictate what goes on on the field. And it's just, it's un, it's unfortunate, it's unpleasant, for me, really distasteful, but... That's that's the way journalism's going, and it's disappointing. But you're really good at what you do. You really care about what you do. Let's talk about what you do. This Cubs team, um, it's uh, it it has been it has been a strange year, given what's happened with this starting rotation. Although it feels like maybe, and I'm always skeptical, always, especially after four months, four plus months of this terrible rotation. The last week feels like maybe, maybe something's coming together. Maybe. And <laughs> it's kind of like a microcosm of what happened last year when this team took four months to figure out, hey, we better ratchet up a bit. And then in September when they took care of the Cardinals and, and Brewers, then you thought, okay. But they spent so much energy, they had virtually nothing left for the playoffs. So you're kind of wondering – What's going to happen this year? The, the, on the positive side, you know, the offense has shown signs on uh, a large sample size. Hey, they can do this. So, but they've hit some speed bumps recently, but yeah. they figured out, hey, we can score runs without hitting the home run. So that's a plus. The bullpen's been deluxe. But once again, it's that rotation. And how many quality starts can they give the team to where they don't have to rely on a, on a, on a crazy comeback? Yeah, yeah, people make a big deal about the comebacks. And, uh, you know, that's great, except that means you're behind every day. That's, that's, not a right. po- that's not a positive that you're behind every day, and it's been largely because of the starting rotation. The question is, and it's a question we've been asking since early on in the year, is how long can you keep asking the bullpen to do the same thing day after day after day after day before they're worn out, before it takes a toll? Now, credit Credit Theo with consistently looking for more arms and continually finding DL stints for guys and finding ways to get more arms here. But you, know, you think about a guy like C-Sheck and and some of these guys who have who have been abused already. You wonder how it shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in September, especially with guys coming off the DL. You expand the twenty-five man rosters. You see who's got what left in the tank. I mean, Morrow's the obvious guy you're looking at but there's also others you know Anthony Bass before he got hurt was pitching very well uh Brandon Hancock was or excuse me Justin Hancock was a guy I really liked but he's been out for a while probably come back in September then there's Drew Smiley who I liked when he pitched for the Tigers in the games I saw him against the White Sox he's he's an interesting study yeah what um I know it's all gone well to this point 
But they didn't think they'd be preparing him to start in a big league game. They thought, I mean, you know, maybe swing guy, maybe who knows, maybe maybe Lugie. I mean, who knows what they what they might use him for, right? Right, and I think September's so goofy that it, it, it it's a different season in itself. And I could see them using Smiley as the guy that comes in in the fourth inning to turn around a lineup or even start a game knowing he's going to give you three and then you bring in a right-hander forcing the other team to you know shuffle its deck of cards. What do you think? Do you, what do you think when they first signed him? I mean, they weren't even talking about 2018 anyway. But if he came back by the end of 2018, what do you think they thought they were going to do with him? I think they thought that he'd be back this season, but only as a one-inning guy. And now it's kind of the point where <laughs> we need this guy, and yes. we're going to need him for more than one inning. So, any, and he's up to the task now. We'll see if his arm is, but uh, certainly with a history that Jim Hickey has with him, there's a chance that he might be a three-inning guy. I think it's impressive that that Theo has not only not snapped as it applies to this starting rotation, on which he spent a lot of money, and not not to mention Dylan Cease and Eli Jimenez. But not only is he not snapped, but he, he continues to try to find more help. Because uh, it, I know some GMs who would say, look, I am not spending more. I'm not chasing a bad bet. Okay, Made a bad bet. I'm not chasing it with more bad bets. I, I spent a lot of money on this rotation. I did what I did. I'm not, I'm not going more in on this. And yet he continues to, he gets Cole Hamels. He continues to look for more guys. And I, I would imagine that's not stopping. I would imagine he's continue to watch the waiver wire and see who, see if anybody gets through or see if there's any claims to be made. Yeah, that's going to be a, a, a difficult challenge for him. But, you know, who, what's to stop him at this point? He knows that every season is precious. And when you have, you know, the best, best record or, or close to the best record in the National League, and you want to maintain that home field advantage throughout the National League portion of the playoffs, it behooves you to, you know, see whatever whatever's out there and improve this team to make sure you're avoiding that wild card game because we all know how much that wild card game can take out of you. We've seen it here. We saw it with the Diamondbacks last year when they beat the Rockies and then fell flat on their faces against the Dodgers. I'm not saying the Dodgers would have, you know, they would have, lost to the Dodgers, but certainly the way they played the Dodgers in the second half, I think they swept them a couple of times in the second half. Uh, Spending all that energy on pitching came up, cost them. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking about the times this year that, that Cub fans got mad at us because we would say this rotation is awful. I mean, you're not going anywhere with this rotation. I mean, yeah, you're going to, you're going to win this division. Sure. But you cannot go into the postseason with no one throwing the baseball well except for John Lester. And even with Lester, his peripherals had, had started to look askew even before that, that one particularly bad outing, which, as Lester pointed out, is not everything. doesn't mean everything. We'll talk about analytics in a bit here. But his peripherals had suggested maybe even he was starting to go the wrong way. You can't go into the postseason with no starting pitching. It's just not – I mean, there's not enough – how many relievers are you going to throw every day? Are you going to throw nine guys every day? He's going to pitch guys every single day. Are you going to do to Brandon Morrow what Dave Roberts did to him last year, or what or what Madden did to Wade Davis last year, or what Madden did to Chapman the year before? I mean, it's a, it's a it's a huge ass. So, you know, there have been times this year where we said, that, look, uh, yeah, they're going to win the division, maybe even have the best record in the league, but you better have some starting pitching going into the postseason. Absolutely, and. That roster, I mean, it's, it's always a fascinating debate who's on and who's off that postseason roster and, and how you, you, pre- you prepare for the what-ifs. Remember when they brought in John Lackey in relief? Oh, oh boy. So that's what you're kind of looking at. I, well, I couldn't believe it. I know Justin Turner couldn't believe it. <laughs> he was sprinting to the plate. You know, he's got the Ed Sheeran walk-up music, and he was sprinting to the plate. And they're like, hey, hey, take your time. He's like, no, no. I want, to, I want to see a hanging breaking ball, like right away. His eyes were as big That's as his it. beard. <laughs> yes, that is the Justin Turner. Well, it was last year. That was his walk-up music last year. I assume it still is. Uh, it's... Um, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. Well, I, I mean, we're we are a really long way from that. Yeah, really long way from that. When you think about 
who's in the rotation now. All right, let's start with Cole Hamels. What did you think the other day? Liked it a lot. I know a lot of people were making a big deal out of the changeup, and rightfully so. But the fact that he's 34 and still can pump it at 95, 96 miles an hour, and this was only his second start since uh, July 13, I think that bodes well because he's going to get in a rhythm now where he can locate that fastball better, and they got to respect that. And then you have the changeup as well as the breaking pitch. The three pretty good pitches. You know, nobody's, nobody expects 2008 Cole Hamels. Nor nobody, should no, they. nobody expects World Series MVP. Nobody has any any illusions. But if he can go five or six, I mean, five innings for this team is like go throw a parade, right? Like, you know, when's the parade schedule? Hendricks went seven. When was that, Sunday night? Last Sunday night he mm-hmm. went seven. It's like, I mean, I, I think it's happened three times in the last two months or something like that. Right, and Hamels easily could have gone six had it not been for three errors behind him. So it's there. Well, that would be that'd be enormous. I mean, as it stands, all right. Now Hendricks, we'll get to Hendricks in a second. I mean, as it stands, you you could argue be, sight unseen. Cole Hamels was your was your number two pitcher going into the postseason. Sight unseen, even as bad as he had been in Texas. And I saw, I think, two of his last three starts bad. Mm-hmm. But sight unseen. I mean, what are you what what are you arguing against? Darvish, who's not here. Chatwood, who's horrible. Hendricks, who's been inconsistent. Quintana, who's been mediocre and can only go, at, you know, was having trouble going five innings. Um, who am I leaving out? Is that everybody? Montgomery, who, you know, gives you gives you the best that he can. But at sight unseen, you could argue Will Hamels is your number two guy at right. that point. Right. But if he's, I mean, if he's, look, what's a quality start today? I know what the definition <laughs> is, but what's a quality start today? Five innings, you know, four runs, uh, seven hits, four walks. That's a five and dive. <laughs> it's a it's a qual, and you know, you would think if if Bryant could come back and is somewhat Chris Bryant, your offense is going to be plenty good. Absolutely. Everybody's talking about the Dodgers' offense now, and the Dodgers' offense, if healthy, really good. Cubs' offense, if healthy, really good too. Let's not pretend otherwise. And guys have gone through some bad spots this year, but. Yeah, I mean, if if Hamels can just give you, if he can give you five or six, or Lord willing seven, I mean, wow, that's yeah. a that's a that's a big ad. When you when they did that, I mean, versus some of the other guys that were out there, Jay Happ, you know, nobody talked about Ivaldi, and you know he's he's been dynamite for the Red Sox. Stuck it to the Yankees last night, his former team. That's an odd story how he ever left the Yankees in the first place, but. You um, look at some of the names out there, and Hamels was a guy who had been talked about by a lot of teams, including the Yankees, including the Phillies, including the Braves, including the Red Sox, and yet nobody was biting. Why do you think there was a reluctance there? Probably early on, it was probably the contract and the option, but Theo was talking to us and said that when they were discussing Chavez, um, they also started finding out what would it take to get Hamels and things became came into focus that, Hey, we can get this guy at a cost we feel comfortable about. And I think that was very huge. And I think the fact that they were, they were ahead of the market in the sense that they targeted the Rangers and they knew they did their homework on Chavez, who, you know, I know he gave up the homer, but he's been pretty good, and he's very versatile. He's going to help him win some games down the road. But he, also Hamels, just knowing that he's a guy, you know, they're only asking him to pitch well for two and a half, three months, and they think they can get that out of him. Chavez, it's interesting to watch him because, yeah, outside of the home run, been really good, and it's, you know how Joe falls in love with guys. And suddenly starts pitching him every day. He's going to need more than he's going to need more than Chavez and Ciszek. Um We'll get to the bullpen shortly. Let let's uh, let's let's stick with the rotation for just a minute. Um, Hendricks seem again seems to be finding something. His two seamer yesterday really good. That was such a big pitch for him a couple years ago. Obviously, his changeups is bread and butter, but. Uh, what do you think the difference between good Hendricks and bad Hendricks is? 
Yesterday it was probably C.B. Buckner. <laughs> Is he on the same crew with Angel Hernandez? There, there are guys that are a lot worse than Angel based on what I've seen this year. But getting back to Kyle. Um, no, it's okay. We can, let's, uh, let's pause and rip umpires for a moment because I hate so many of them. <laughs> That it's always it's always worth a moment to, to uh, you know we could we could talk Joe West, we could talk C B Buckner, we could talk uh, wow there you know there's been five or six guys this year who've really gone out of their way to run managers and run players. It's just you know Joe I, West just knows what he's doing. Yeah, well he sure does. I, there's always been you know we we go back to a time where uh, there was. There were some guys. I mean, there were the Bruce Fremings and the Wendell Stets, Harry, and and the and the you know the the Joe Wests, and there were some guys who were really who were really tough, but they you know out, outside of Fremming and West, you really didn't have guys who who looked to start trouble. I mean, looked actually looked to start it. And now you, you, there's seemingly eight or ten guys and new ones each year who want to show everybody how tough they are. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I don't understand it. I mean, do, do they really think people are coming to the game to watch them? No. I just – my issues with CB, and that's, that's it. <laughs> and and you saw, I saw the, the crew – the crew on uh, Thursday on, on the lineup card, I thought, oh, boy. And I looked up to see who Hendricks is pitching. I said, good luck to him and, and the other pitcher for the Padres because it's going to be a long day. Oh, man. Yeah, he was uh, – Hendricks was shaking his head a lot. And he's careful. He's really careful not to do that to umpires because he needs the umpire. Mm-hmm. Shaking his head a lot right. yesterday. But what's the difference between um, good Hendricks, you know, seven innings – Last Sunday, uh, for most of yesterday, uh, for the for the one start uh, about two weeks ago when he had the really bad first. He's had a lot of bad first innings. I think twenty two Ernie's in 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 twenty two starts or something like that. In the first inning, something along those lines. What's the difference between good Hendricks, which we've seen, I would say, three of the last five starts, something like that, and the one who's been so inconsistent this year? It's when his changeups moving from waist to knee instead of from knee to the shoe top because there's been some teams that just anything that starts off really low they lay off because they know it's got so much sink on it. I think the other thing too is location of the fastball because now you see where he's throwing the all four quadrants more, changing the eye level of hitters, and when he's got his pinpoint control, he's on. But early in the season. He was trying to elevate a little bit and, and got too much of the plate, and he was paying a price for it, as you see with the home runs. But I think the changeup is is the big pitch for him and the movement he gets from from belt buckle to knee. I know he works with Borzello and Hadovy a lot, probably even more so than he does Jim Hickey, and probably did more so than he than he worked with Chris Bazio. But he did have a relationship with Bazio. Uh, Bazio's issues aside, do you think that he misses him? I think so. I think that's fair. And it's not, I'm not trying to d- demean Jim Hickey at no, all. It's, it's just there was a good, there was a firm bond. And I remember one time uh, Kyle had a terrible start against the White Sox. It was a mid-August game at the cell on a Friday night. And the next morning, he's out there with Bazio, and they're just working on their delivery over and over and over down the right field line. And something clicked after that. It wasn't just the, the start after, but successive starts he got it going again and it just felt more in sync and I think there was there was something that you know Basio's set of eyes he's watched this guy for a while so he had a good feel for for what's right when he looks right and I think that helped it's not surprising really when you think about it because he he had all this success with one guy who seemed to really understand his mechanics and there's been just so many points this year where he's been fighting his mechanics uh, so I mean that that's really not shocking. You saw it with Coop all the time. Coop had guys that he could fix in an instant. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could walk to the mound and say three words, and they'd get it right away. But everybody's different. Some guys are visual. Some guys can hear it and see it. Some guys cannot see it without the video or without the demonstration. And you got to have that connection somehow. Pitching coach's got to have that connection. 
Um, do you? Does it feel to you like Hendricks is turning a corner and is going to be more like the Kyle Hendricks we used to know? I see baby steps starting okay. with the, the start at San Francisco last month. And I see a semblance of more consistency. Now, whether he can put it together in, in, in three consecutive starts or more, I don't know. But I think now's a pretty good time for him. You know, I think is what his next start's going to be against the Nationals on Thursday. So that'll be a pretty good measuring stick considering how that last start went against the Nats in the playoffs. Not too well, but everybody was on fumes. But yeah, um, that didn't go well for anyone. No, no, it didn't. But I think that's a good, good measuring stick because they've seen him before, he knows them. And he, he's given them fits, too, like he did the first first game of that series. So um, I think that's a pretty good measuring stick. The, uh, the, the funny thing about Quintana is, you know, the, the numbers look okay and the metrics look okay, sometimes look good, and yet he seems to be fighting himself all the time. Like, like getting through five is just a Herculean effort for him. It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be not for not given the price that they paid him what they thought they were getting. How do you sum up what you've seen in basically the one year that he's been a Cub? I'm baffled recently by the lack of control, the the walks, not just the the game in St. Louis, but other games where he's really fighting himself because most of the time he has a very smooth delivery, very smooth, and you would think that the fact that he repeats it so easily with Lynn lend itself to better control, but it just hasn't translated in a lot of those starts. And then you see him uh, a few weeks ago throw 121 pitches, seven innings, save the pen, you know, heroic effort. So you kind of wonder what you're getting, but he's a guy that the control kind of missed, the lack of control mystifies me because I saw him with the White Sox, he was very polished. Montgomery gives you what he can. I mean, he's 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 done what he can. Uh, it was funny the other day. Joe took him out. I think he was at uh, what was he at seventy some pitches, seventy nine five and change. And I thought, wow, uh, you he, you know you need any, you need outs right now from from your starters, killing this bullpen. And so my first reaction was, this is this is a mistake. And they I believe they ended up losing that game. I think the bullpen gave that game up. But then, then I started thinking about it. It's like, okay, they've already, you know, he's already entering territory where he's never been before in terms of innings, and Joe's probably just looking for a place to get him a break. Was my guess? Does that sound right to you? Well, it was an inning decision because they didn't hit Erlin at all, so that was the, the first point. Second point was Joe's always looking to stop the bleeding immediately. Inning a decision, you know, Larusa was was great at that. You address inning a decision. You got to stop it right there. Yeah. And so he felt Chavez was his best option. Went with him. Uh, I think Hedges hit the homer. You know, game over. But the fact was, they only had three hits. They weren't going to win that game. But he, Joe saw the need to make it stop the bleeding right there. Keep it close. He just walked Hosmer, lefty. So that I think that went into his thinking. If I can at least stop him right there and and find a way to scratch another run, we win this thing. The problem is you can't do that every day. You just can't do it every day. I think it was uh, it, it was probably Don Zimmer who told me once off the record, uh, and this was early on when I was you know really just learning the game. You know, you think you know the game until you walk into a clubhouse and surprise, you get surprise, an edu- you, yeah, you get an education from people who have been in the game for thirty or forty or fifty years. They said, "Look, kid, uh, sometimes." And you could never, you know, you could never, while I'm managing this team, quote me as saying this, but sometimes you got to be willing to lose a game. Sometimes you have to allow your team to lose a game to save games later on in the season. And it took a while for that to sink in for me to really get it. But I wonder if, you know, if that, if that, if there are sometimes, and I mean, the Cubs are, all right, look, now it's August 5th, you're in a pennant race, it may be past that point. But you just can't keep asking the bullpen to give you four innings or more every single day, especially when it's been happening over and over and over again. Maybe that trend is going to stop. Maybe now it does. But you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes right. you got to be willing to just let a guy go out and let let a guy stay out there. Right. I mean, there's that old saying, you know, lose a battle but win a war. But on the other hand, 
Look at that last game against the Diamondbacks. They were down, what, 6-1? And he used Chavez and Sechak in the middle of the game, and they stopped the bleeding, and then they come back and win. So there's that flip side, too. Yeah, but I, but I think there's was, been a lot of those. There's been a lot of – I mean, there's been enough of those where he thinks, hey, I could, I could stop this. He also seems to know when to – when to just pull the plug. Like there was, I mean, the when he, there was one game, look, some of the games he's used position players were, you know, 10, 15, 18, 20 run games, but one of them was only like five or six. And it was only, it was only maybe the seventh inning, but it was one of those where he realized we are not getting to the opposing pitcher. We're not getting, you know, they're going starter closer here and we're not getting to them. So I'm bailing on this game. And I thought that was brilliant actually. Yeah, it was a game Luke Farrell pitched. They didn't get any length out of him. And and that that's another subject where how many starters do you need to get through a season? And who's ever pitched been that sixth starter other than Montgomery hasn't fared well, which on the flip side, you look at the Houston Astros, they've gone all year with only five starters, and they might have to go to six depending on how serious McCullers' injury is. But that's that's amazing in these days to, to go with five starters this far in the season. They're the last team, last team to do it. And uh, that was not good. He was looked like, you know, they showed him twice. They showed McCullers twice. Once he was pointing to the inside of his elbow. The other time he was pointing to the outside of the elbow, which maybe was, was a forearm cramp. I don't know. But, you know, it's all about spin rate down there. They love spinning the baseball. The more you spin it, the more dangerous it gets. When we come back, Gons, we will uh, we'll get to John Lester. We'll get to analytics. We'll get to the White Sox. You, you covered the White Sox. Uh, during the uh, during the previous decade when they won the World Series. They are in full rebuild mode. You've also seen the Cubs go through full rebuild mode. So we'll get into that as well. But we'll, uh, we'll finish with the rotation. We'll get into the bullpen. We'll start talking about this National League and how the Cubs fit into that. He's Mark Gonzalez. I'm Barry Rosner. You've got hit and run on the score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 